Folks, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast, episode number 47. We're talking about what men are looking for, and we know they're looking for some answers about what manhood really is. And so I'm excited to have a friend of mine. Uh, we have crossed paths in ministry many times over the years. His name is Brian Gullins. Uh, he's been a pastor, a youth pastor. He has worked uh, statewide with the issue of fatherhood and in, in, in the city of Richmond with fatherhood. I mean, he's just, he's poured himself into this issue of manhood that we're discussing. But here's here's the kicker. On top of that, we share the same scenario in that we both have four kids. We're both trying to figure out how do we raise them and love them and love our wives. And so I, I am just thankful for my brother and friend, Brian Gullins. Brian, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about where you are in life and what's going on with you. Well, thank you, Mike. It's great to be with you and great to be with the community. Um Life is amazing. Um, I'm 51, so I kind of reached that threshold. Yeah. And uh, really in the process of looking at what the next 25 years looks like. And uh, there's three things I've laid before the Lord. One, that I would just love him, mm. serve him, and, and allow him to make me more Christ-like. Two, that I would love my wife like Christ loved the church. And that three that I would um, leave an inheritance for my children's children, you know, that is spiritual, natural, and financial. And so with that, uh, we find ourselves in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Uh, I'm here serving uh, in uh, as lead elder uh, of an expansion location for a church and uh, working with Chick-fil-A. And so uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a kind of a short uh, capsule, that's kind of where I am. Uh, four kids, three in college, uh, one also now in Kuwait. My oldest girl is in Kuwait serving with the United States Army. Wow. Two of my daughters are at Norfolk State, about to graduate uh, from, from college. And my son just graduated from high school last year. Uh, and he's looking at the United States Marine Corps and also uh, serving uh, with the fire department. And, uh, and then lastly, uh, we uh, care for my two parents. Um, they both are disabled, but they're here in the home with us, my mom and dad, both in their 80s. So, uh, and then lastly, uh, my wife and I celebrated 26 years and we'll be 27 years this year. So God's been good. I, it, this is what I love. Um... It just stirs me up to talk to you because I'm 52, so we're about the same age. We've got four kids also. Now, you've got three daughters and a son, and we've got three sons and a daughter. I did not realize that your oldest daughter was serving in the Army. My oldest son is in Hawaii with the 25th Infantry Division right now. So ah. our two oldest are already on active duty. Our middle two uh, boys are in college. One's at Virginia Tech, one's at NC State, and then our daughter's mm -hmm. at home in high school. And so, folks, it, I, I wish you could see the joy on my face. I, I just delight in the time that I get to spend with this brother. And we've talked about um, what it would look like for us to collaborate on a book. And I'm just going to tell you that the title of it is Fathering in Black and White and, and the yeah. things that we deal with that are different and the similarities, uh, the wrestling match that we both have in trying to honor God with our marriages and our fathering and our honoring of our parents. Man, there's just so much that 
we just walk the same path, it seems, sometimes. And so there's there's a lot in common, but there's a lot that's different, too. And so it's just fun. So, Brian, thanks so much. I, I am just overjoyed to have you here. Hey, listen, let me, let me hit you with a passage. So uh, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. So I'm a little bit blindsiding you, but this is pretty cool. So when David was about to die... You're, you'll be very familiar with this. We're in Second First uh, Kings chapter two. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, "I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man, and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish His word that He spoke concerning me, saying that if your sons pay close." attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness in all their heart with all their heart and with all their soul you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel I love that passage and you know so much to unpack but here's here's the thing be strong and show yourself a man Brian I I'm convinced that if we were to say that to a bunch of young folks today or just pick some guys out of the community and say show yourself a man they would say, I, I have no idea what it looks like to show myself a man. Do you have that same sense? And, and are, do you see the confusion with manhood and, and people are looking for some, some substance there? Would you speak to that? Confusion is abundant. And confusion, I'm struggling to find the right word. And the best word I can find is confusion. And here's what I mean by that. There's so much confusion about manhood that there are confusions on two extremes. Manhood has become feminized, and we can talk about the history and how we got there, but then also there's this hyper pseudo-masculism that one side is, is effeminate, the other side is uh, unnecessarily violent. And neither of those are biblical manhood. Yeah, I, I've heard people describe it by saying that without clear leadership and guidance for what true manhood is, people lean into one of those directions or the other, and they get way off base instead of understanding that you— um, Well, Robert Lewis talks about having a king face and a warrior face, and there's a time for a warrior to put on the armor and the gear and— and wage battle, but there's also the need that we have for some wisdom about how to use that strength and that that energy in a way that it's helpful and full and honoring to the Lord and affirming to the rest of culture. And so we end up with, with folks who are living on one end of that extreme or the other. They're either too soft or they're too hard, and they're not uh, following the, the, the example of Christ in his manhood. So um, how, how, are you, how are you talking to your daughters and your son about what this manhood looks like? It's an ongoing conversation. It's rooted in love. And I, and I think that's what has to be taught, modeled, discussed. It's, it's that true biblical manhood is rooted in love. The difference between love and lust I think is is huge in that love gives, lust takes. To know the difference uh, and to to know when I as let's say as a man, 
when when I'm lusting after something, it doesn't have to necessarily be sexual. When I'm lusting after something, I've moved away from the motivation of love, of of giving of myself, and so uh, especially for my for my son, teaching him that difference, and then for my daughters, it's teaching them to know when 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 lust is being cloaked as love. Mm. And that happens. And so I think what fathers do through a consistent example of love that both son and daughter are able to discern the difference. And and you all have probably heard this story before about how the FBI trains their agents to identify counterfeit money, right? And, you know, those guys go to Quantico and they sit in the room and for a day they feel uh, authentic money. And then they slip a uh, counterfeit bill in and based on the touch, they're able to discern the counterfeit. And, and I would say that's how we as dads have to live, that our, our, our sons and daughters, they touch the real thing which is the love of Christ that we have in that they're able to discern the counterfeit. That is so cool. And I, I have heard that. I've never heard it in this context. And so the idea is that we need to be living out true love, real love, Christ's love in our families for our kids so that they can recognize, well, that's not real love that I'm feeling from someone else. That. Um, now, let me, let me go back because you quant- qualified this, the lust thing, um, because usually when we hear the word lust, we're thinking sexual lust. But lust is just a desire for something that that is self-serving. So there could be people lusting for power. Uh, they're do, doing things lusting for um, visibility, for likes on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, we we live in a culture that's that's so much about what can I get from me that we've lost the idea that God designed men for the benefit of others. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. So we we have to be teaching about this otherness of manhood, but our culture is not affirming that at all. Um, and, and so then we get, obviously, to this toxic masculinity scenario. Um, and so... The counterfeit is toxic masculinity, and I've, I've heard someone say, I, I was not original with this, that manhood is not toxic, uh, masculinity is not toxic, but sin is. And so it's the corruption of it that that is problematic. So do you hear, I mean, you're working now with a lot of young folks at Chick-fil-A and in various places in the local church. Do you hear this term toxic masculinity come up and how do you how do you respond to that? How do you help people refocus from that being the only concept to a true concept of masculinity? I hear toxic masculinity come up, but I'm not hearing the term used. I hear the concept come up, but I'm not hearing the the term used as frequently as I used to, and it could be because of, because of, of my circles that, that I've been in as of late, it is very concerning. And working with young people, the, the toxic masculinity, it, um, it, it seeps. Uh, sometimes it's bam in your face, 
but sometimes it seeps and it creeps into the culture and into the lifestyle in very subtle ways. Oftentimes humor, uh, I think I hear the toxic masculinity sometimes in humor. Mm. And so paying attention what people laugh at, um, paying attention, you know, um, sometimes what people wear. And so the toxic, toxic masculinity is there, but almost like, like the nature of Satan, it, it's deceptive. It'll change forms. And I think for those of us who work in this, in, in this, this field, uh, we've got to discern it when it morphs mm. and, and point it out when it rears its head. Yeah, I, I think about your daughters because they're college age or one, one is out of college. What are, what are your concerns or your thoughts? Are there men out there for them that are really willing to pursue their hearts and lay their lives down and sacrifice and, and love your daughters the way Christ loved the church. One of the, one of the challenges that I'm hearing is a lot of young ladies are saying, I, I don't know where the men are. I don't know where the real men are. There are plenty of boys out here that spend all their time watching ESPN or playing Xbox or PlayStation, but, but where are the men who have a plan for their lives and some initiative and some sense of, being willing to step into marriage and family. That's a real concern. I have a young man who uh, is uh, very interested in one of my daughters and she's very interested in him. He is, uh, he's become a son to me. Right. My second son. Uh, it's, it's interesting. He was raised in a cult, in a family cult. Uh, my daughter met him in college and help lead him to the Lord. He's just accelerating uh, in Christ being formed in him. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And, and it gives me hope that, that the Holy Spirit is still working, you know, in the earth, in the hearts of this, of this next generation. So what we have done is any, any young man that comes into any of our daughter's lives with any interest in them, we take them in. We embrace those those young men, and uh, we've had several who um, uh, who a relationship, long term relationship, didn't develop. But because we reached out to them, um, we're still a part of their lives, and so I think it's it's us as fathers saying yes. The standard to 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 for our daughters is very high. And I don't expect that a young man will come in able to reach that standard, <laughs> but I will help him. You know, I, 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 and, and the deal with our daughters is if, if, if you're serious about somebody, then we've got to be in their lives because we've been talking about family legacy, right? Our daughters, and my son, they're learning that there's a legacy for this family that we're cultivating, but we also have to protect. And the greatest way to destroy that family legacy, one of the greatest ways, is to bring somebody into the family 
who does not buy into Jesus Christ and the process of being made Christ-like. You know, and then we teach our kids that, you know, daughters, you choose the father of your children. You know, mothers choose the fathers of their children, as do fathers choose the mothers of their children. That's a huge choice. So think about, would you want this person to father or mother your child? And I think that's one of the standards. And then honestly, Mike, and lastly, to answer that question, we have been praying for the husbands of my daughters and my daughter-in-law before we even knew who they were. You know, they're in our heart already, right. if, if that makes sense. And so I don't have a face, I don't have a name, but 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 they're in my heart already. And I pray for them like I already know them. That's huge. And and something you said at the very beginning caught my attention, and I think it it weaves into this, and that is that you are seeking to live leave a legacy. I think you said spiritual, uh, emotional, financial. What is it? Is that right? Spiritual? Spiritual, natural, and financial. Right. Not just to your children, but to your children's children. And so I yes. think there are plenty of folks out there that don't have a vision beyond wanting to be able to put a bumper sticker on the back of their car that says their child's an honor roll student at so-and-so elementary school. Folks, we got to have a longer vision than right now or next month. And and so th- we need to have a multi-generational vision of what goes on in our family because the seeds that we plant now in the lives of our children and the prayers that we pray affect not only them, but the next generation and set the stage for generations to come. And that's what you're talking about. Absolutely, Mike. And and here's something that we did. Uh, you know, when I, you know, when I turned 50, I got all emotional about, oh, I'm turning 50 and thinking about family legacy. So here's what we did. We did, uh, I got my family together and uh, we went through a strategic planning process, the same we would do for an organization, you know, uh, and I brought in a, a, an outside consultant who took my family through a strategic planning process, vision, mission, core values, all of that. And it was all based on Proverbs 13, 22. It was a good man lays up an inheritance for his children's children. But it also says that the, the wealth of the wicked or the sinners laid up for the just. And so, um, one, it meant that I have to be a good man. Right. And so me laying that before the Lord. But also, I knew that my children were coming to the point where they were going to graduate from college. They were going to move on with their lives. I wanted them to have a vision of our family and and what our family is about and who our family is. And so we went through that. It's been a year now and it's still an ongoing process. Um, And so I figured, let me make the investment now. Let me not try to do it on my own. Let me not try to facilitate it. But like any other organization, because a family really is an organization. It's an entity. And so, um, I've had about three different consultants helping me with developing family legacy. 
That is so cool. What a great idea. So, guys, I hope you're listening to that. And, uh, uh, Brian, we may get you to give some some links to some information about how to do that or some more uh, information that we could put in the show notes. But, but let me ask you this, because you spent a lot of time working in the fatherhood um, environment, um, pushing against fatherlessness in the city of Richmond, the state. I mean, you've worked with National Father Initiative and, and, and are aware of these things across the country. I, there are probably folks out there saying that's awesome for Brian and his family, but what about the family that doesn't have that, that doesn't have the patriarch that, that Brian Gullins is? And so what kind of hope can you give for them? What kind of encouragement What's what's the help and the hope for understanding manhood for those folks who don't have an engaged dad? Well, one, there is hope. You know, the Lord said he's a, that he'll be a father to the father. That's right. You know, the scripture that, you know, you led off with with David, uh, that it ended and said there'll always be a man on the throne, you know. And so, so there's a way to get the patriarch into the family. Now, it starts with, number one, we need it. It it starts with, one, having a desire to have it. Sometimes that's tough when the family culture has been matriarch that there's a recognition that we need patriarch. And and matriarch and patriarch go together. There are two that complement you know, uh, it's not good that man should be alone. What I've learned is that when the matriarchs in the family recognize that we need patriarchs, it almost gives patriarchs, it almost gives, it almost like it gives the the Lord permission. It almost Mm. like it, 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 it gives him it frees his hands to begin to move within that family. Now, it may take a generation to get it done, but praying for it, number one, teaching it, and then finding other models to be an example of it. The local church is the first place I would start. Finding you know, a church that values men, Finding a church that will hold men accountable. Right. When men are held accountable, that's a healthy thing. Not in a bashing way, not in a, uh, uh, you know, a way that will emasculate men, but in a way that causes men to rise. And so, uh, so for those single moms or, or, or grandmothers out there, who have young men, the boys in their family, find men of character, not a man that's going to try to date you, but find men of character, preferably men who are already married and who have a godly example and a track record of godly marriage, because that's that's the foundation that that's really necessary. Again, the matriarch, the patriarch and the matriarch, they work together. And one doesn't dominate or oppress the other. It's a God-ordained team. And from that foundation, 
you can rebuild your family. Yeah. But it takes time. Well, it takes time. And I'm so glad you mentioned the church. I I was going to ask you about that because I I know I've been in meetings and conferences with you related to the, the fatherhood issues. And often we are trying to get the church to be engaged in the the absent father issues in the community and and listen I I got to tell you so often folks will look at that and say well that's an urban issue that's a poverty issue but I see the absence of fathers in suburban America it, it, they're often absent physically but so many are just absent emotionally and they're not investing in their kids there is need everywhere and so I I, I love the challenge for the church as a matter of fact You'll probably remember the the National Fatherhood Initiative, um, I think it was, did a study. um, I think the title of it was Mama's Mama's Boy or Mama's Say or something like that. And one of the questions— Mama says. Mama says. There you go. One of the questions that they asked was, where could the father of your children go to get help on being a better dad? Number one answer, secular survey, national survey, number one answer was the local church. And, and one of the things that I've commented in many times with pastors and leaders is, is hey, if, if someone would pick up the phone and call your church and say, hey, I'm a dad who wants to get fathering right. I want to do better. I, I believe that the church could help me. What do you have? I don't think many churches have anything going on to help fathers do better with this. And, and so I would just say, hey, we, we as leaders and as men who are investing in our own kids— what can we do to engage the church in providing some opportunity for to 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 improve fathering, to help some guys who are anxious for some help? You may have some ideas about resources or thoughts with that because of your work previously in the public sector, but uh, I I think we don't have enough churches that are ready to respond to that question. Is that uh, is that fair? That's very fair. And in my interaction with pastors. Um, Here's what I learned, and I think here's the shift that we have to have, uh, and, and, I, and, and, and I say this carefully. Most churches, or I'll say a lot of churches, have what is, what is a salvation model of ministry rather than a transformation model of ministry. Now, it all begins with salvation. Right. John 3.16, right? So, of course, we have to be born again. I mean, you know, anything puts the cart, be putting the cart before the horse. We have to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, confess him with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, right? Romans 10, 9, and 10. But once we're saved, we have to become more than just church attenders. Mm -hmm. There has to be a way of Christ being formed in us so that we can not only have an impact in our personal relationship, but in our family and community relationships, and then also in advancing the kingdom. So, they used to talk. They used to use a word that's not used as much anymore called discipleship. <laughs> yeah, we talk about it frequently because we know how valuable that is. 
Exactly, exactly. And, and, and some some contexts will say it's, you know, you spiritual formation yeah. or, you know, men have to be discipled. Men have to be transformed after being born again. They have to be intentionally engaged. And uh, and so for pastors, it's more than just getting them to the altar to receive Christ. Yes, it begins with that, but our job doesn't end there. That's really when it begins. And so adding beyond just the salvation model, but the transformation model, that a man would come into our local church and be transformed to be more Christ-like. That's what this is all about. And when the man gets transformed in Christ-like, so will his whole family. That's right. So kind of in a nutshell, that that's what that would be my encouragement to pastors. And, and you know, I think based on conversations I continue to have, that there is this pent-up desire to do fathering better. I think there are a lot of guys who look at where they are and recognize, you know, I, I, I'm i not accomplishing what I'd hoped to. I had dreams for my kids and for the way family was going to look, and I could use some help. Now, they can't often bring themselves to ask that question. It's just like a guy asking for directions. Most of us will, will fumble around, but I think this is where the personal invitation comes in and where – we um, have an opportunity to encourage guys who have some experience in their lives to be willing to take that experience and invest it, to sow it into the lives of some younger folks, some other folks, and and be willing to take a young man out to a meal. I, I The previous podcast that we recorded, I had four young men who are students at Virginia Tech, and one of the things that they aggressively affirmed was that if an older man would invite them out to a meal that they would always go because those young guys are always hungry and so always. yeah and and so I, I I just want to encourage older men man you may think that your mistakes and your errors and your fumbles in life disqualify you from having any value in adding to the lives of others but if you have, or if you're on this journey toward transformation, because, you know, I would, I bet you and I would both agree, I know I would, that Christ is still working on me, the preliminary conversation we had. And, and so nobody's ever finished, but you can always look back from where you are and grab someone else and encourage him with what Christ has taught you. And, and so I, I think we've got to, we've got to unleash the wisdom and the experiences of older men to pour themselves into the lives of younger men so that we have better fathers and stronger marriages and better homes and, and an advancing kingdom. You, you know, Mike, I'll take these two concepts, wisdom and strength. The family is built on wisdom and strength, but wisdom and strength is uh it, it, it indicates two generations. Hmm. The young man, you have strength. The older man, you have wisdom. And when those two come together, it's a very powerful thing. And and I and I would like to say to uh, to our our fathers out there and to our grandfathers out there, 
You may be in your, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, even your 80s or beyond, and you're still here. And if you did an inventory in your mind of all of your friends or the men you know who aren't here anymore, probably down on the inside, you're asking yourself, Lord, why am I still here? Could it be that you're still here because God's not done with you yet? Amen. Could it be that there's some young men that in the, and young is a relative term when when you're 80. That's <laughs> you right. Know? And and so it's, it's like my dad is still mentoring me. We we go for walks, you know, at least three times a week. We go to breakfast and lunch regularly, weekly. And I'm asking him questions, uh, and he's answering. You know, even though he has some challenges, he's and and he's giving me pieces to the puzzle. You know. And so, uh, and so even my dad, disabled, he's still adding value to me. And so I would just say to the dads and granddads out there, you still have value. Please don't rob us of the stories yeah. and the victories and the challenges that you, you're still here. And so you are evidence to us that God can do it. Mm. You know, I just have to throw in a personal story, too, because uh, I was trying to get ready for this podcast and my phone rang and I looked and it was my home number, not not my home, but my mom and dad's home. And it was dad said, hey, I, I, I figured I'm surprised I caught you. I figured you were going into a meeting or something, but I just I. I just wanted to let you know I'm thinking about you, wondering how your money's going. I mean, he knows we do faith-based ministry, and he said, I, I, if you need anything, let me know. I just wanted to let you know you were on my mind. And i got to tell you guys, pick up the phone and call somebody. I, I, even if it's not your, your own son, man, somebody needs to hear that you were on, or that they were on your mind, and encourage them. Uh, that That's so valuable. So, um Listen, last last thing, um, Robert Lewis, I had him on for some uh, uh, luncheons. He, d- he joined us by Zoom to talk with some pastors about this, uh, this curriculum called Better Man. But one of the things he said was that manhood, right now, that manhood is one of the most effective evangelism tools in our culture. And I had to sit back and, and think about that, because when I, when I think about the context of what are men looking for, I think guys are looking for some questions about manhood. And sometimes in the old school, we're thinking, well, man, I just need to tell them about Jesus and tell them about Jesus. But you can launch a lot of conversations by beginning to talk about, hey, uh, how are you doing as a guy? How, how are you doing in marriage? How, how, are, you, how are you doing understanding what it means to lead and, and live and love. And I, I, I just think they're, they're manhood questions that we could engage folks with and then ha- ultimately have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Uh, speak to that, and then we'll finish up. The issue of, of, of manhood is it's, it's one that's not going away. Yeah. Uh, it's one that we find, really, it unites us. And, I, and we've always said this, that, that you know, Manhood is a brotherhood, that fatherhood is a brotherhood. And there is a brotherhood 
element to manhood. And what's what makes it a unique evangelistic tool uh, or reality is that it transcends manhood, the brotherhood of manhood, it transcends economic boundaries, it transcends cultural boundaries, it transcends racial boundaries, it transcends geographic, it, it transcends. And so, uh, so there is a commonness there that creates an evangelistic opportunity. And so, you know, I uh, am an African-American male raised in an urban context, but I can connect and relate to a male in India or in South America or in Europe or anywhere else because there's a commonness there. And, uh, and, and, and listen, ladies do it beautifully and they do it regularly. But we as men, we have to be more intentional. Yeah, we bow all up and we just don't, we're not willing to go to those places. I went to have breakfast in a restaurant uh, and uh, and uh, there was an older white older white gentleman sitting down having dinner having breakfast with his with his wife, and uh, we came in came in and spoke, and uh, he, he, they said good morning and I said good morning, and I said how y'all doing how you doing, and he said well, another day in paradise and I said I hear you I hear you, and what. That's all he needed to say. What I heard was, I'm a husband and a father, and I'm in the struggle. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. I'm trying to make it in this crazy world in this time where things are unhinged. I'm just trying to make it, and, and so it that moment transcended, and and we didn't have to talk about anything else, but I felt it. Yeah. And he, and he felt me. And so there's a beautiful opportunity there for us to even bring some healing to our nation as we connect as men. I, you know, I'm so glad we're finishing up with this because um, I, I didn't know how to how to how to broach this. But I believe that manhood is exactly what you said. It's a bridge to to all kinds of conversations. And I just Man, I love you to death, and I love our conversation, and the relationship is authentic. And 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 guys, um, we've got to find ways to connect with other folks in a way that is honoring and reciprocal. I mean, we, man, I learned so much for Brian from Brian Gullins, and and so we have to keep working on relationships. And I don't think that we're going to deal with political or racial issues by continuing to post like crazy on social media. Man, have a conversation with someone. Go go meet with someone. Establish a relationship with someone who's not your culture or your race or you live in your neighborhood. Make some connections with some people who are different from you and recognize that we're all wrestling with some of these same issues. And man, when you can find common ground about stuff to talk about, raising sons and daughters, getting marriage right, figuring out life and ministry and work, um, 
Guys, there's plenty for us to talk about that is constructive and builds healthy, hopeful, God-honoring relationships. So um, that's just part of what stirs my pot in this whole thing. So, Amen. Uh, so, well, Brian, thanks so much uh, for taking time to be with us. Just, just love you, brother. And let's not uh, let it be this long before we get together again, because there's, uh, gosh, there's so much for us to talk about, and maybe we'll share some stuff with some other guys again on another podcast. But uh, thanks for being with us today. Love you too, and blessings to all you guys out there and your families. Let's stay with it. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for the Noble Man podcast, episode number 47. Next week, we'll tune in. We're going to talk with some seasoned men as they look back. We started off with some Gen Z guys, and I'm... uh, Episode 46 was with a millennial youth pastor. Episode 47 with another guy who's my contemporary, a Gen Xer. And uh, so then we're going to talk to really some baby boomers about what they see in this whole world of what men are looking for. So God bless you folks. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to having you next week for episode number 48.